In the heart of the West End, there are many quiet pockets, unknown to almost all but taxi drivers, who traverse them with expert knowledge and arrive triumphantly thereby at Park Lane, Berkeley Square or South Audley Street. If you turn off on an unpretentious street from the park and turn left and right once or twice, you will find yourself in a quiet street with Bertram's Hotel on the right-hand side. Bertram's Hotel has been there a long time. During the war, houses were demolished on the right of it and a little farther down on the left of it, but Bertram's itself remained unscathed. Naturally, it could not escape being, as house agents would say, scratched, bruised and marked, but by the expenditure of only a reasonable amount of money, it was restored to its original condition. By 1955, it looked precisely as it had looked in 1939, dignified, unostentatious and quietly expensive. Such was Bertram's, patronised over a long stretch of years by the higher echelons of the clergy, dowager ladies of the aristocracy up from the country, girls on their way home for the holidays from expensive finishing schools. So few places where a girl can stay alone in London, but of course it's quite all right at Bertram's. We have stayed there for years. There had, of course, been many other hotels on the model of Bertram's. Some still existed, but nearly all had felt the wind of change. They had had necessarily to modernise themselves, to cater for a different clientele. Bertram's, too, had had to change, but it had been done so cleverly that it was not at all apparent at the first casual glance. Outside the steps that led up to the big swing doors stood what at first sight appeared to be no less than a field marshal. Gold braid and medal ribbons adorned a broad and manly chest, his deportment was perfect. He received you with tender concern as you emerged with rheumatic difficulty from a taxi or a car, guided you carefully up the steps, and piloted you through the silently swinging doorway. Inside, if this was the first time you had visited Bertram's, you felt, almost with alarm, that you had re-entered a vanished world. Time had gone back. You were in Edwardian England once more. There was, of course, central heating, but it was not apparent. As there had always been in the big central lounge, there were two magnificent coal fires. Beside them, big brass coal scuttles shone in the way they used to shine when Edwardian housemaids polished them, and they were filled with exactly the right-sized lumps of coal. There was a general appearance of rich red velvet and plushy coziness. The armchairs were not of this time and age, they were well above the level of the floor, so that rheumatic old ladies had not to struggle in an undignified manner in order to get to their feet. The seat of the chairs did not, as in so many modern high-priced armchairs, stop halfway between the thigh and the knee, thereby inflicting agony on those suffering from arthritis and sciatica. And they were not all of a pattern. There were straight backs and reclining backs, different widths to accommodate the slender and the obese, People of almost any dimension could find a comfortable chair at Bertram's. Since it was now the tea hour, the lounge hall was full. Not that the lounge hall was the only place where you could have tea. There was a drawing-room, chintz, a smoking-room, by some hidden influence reserved for gentlemen only, where the vast chairs were of fine leather, two writing-rooms, where you could take a special friend and have a cosy little gossip in a quiet corner, and even write a letter as well if you wanted to. Besides these amenities of the Edwardian age, there were other retreats, not in any way publicised, but known to those who wanted them. 
There was a double bar with two bar attendants, an American barman to make the Americans feel at home and to provide them with bourbon, rye, and every kind of cocktail, and an English one to deal with sherries and pims number one, and to talk knowledgeably about the runners at Ascot and Newbury to the middle-aged men who stayed at Bertram's for the more serious race meetings. There was also, tucked down a passage in a secretive way, a television room for those who asked for it. But the big entrance lounge was the favourite place for the afternoon tea-drinking. The elderly ladies enjoyed seeing who came in and out, recognising old friends and commenting unfavourably on how these had aged. There were also American visitors fascinated by seeing the titled English really getting down to their traditional afternoon tea, for afternoon tea was quite a feature of Bertram's. It was nothing less than splendid. Presiding over the ritual was Henry, a large and magnificent figure, a ripe fifty, avuncular, sympathetic, and with the courtly manners of that long-vanished species, the perfect butler. Slim youths performed the actual work under Henry's austere direction. There were large crested silver trays and Georgian silver teapots. The china, if not actually Rockingham and Davenport, looked like it. The blind earl services were particular favourites. The tea was the best Indian, Ceylon, Darjeeling, Lapsang, etc. As for eatables, you could ask for anything you liked and get it. On this particular day, November the 17th, Lady Selina Hazy, 65, up from Leicestershire, was eating delicious well-buttered muffins with all an elderly lady's relish. Her absorption with muffins, however, was not so great that she failed to look up sharply every time the inner pair of swing doors opened to admit a newcomer. So it was that she smiled and nodded to welcome Colonel Luscombe, erect, soldierly, race-glasses hanging round his neck. Like the old autocrat that she was, she beckoned imperiously, and in a minute or two Luscombe came over to her. "'Hello, Selina. What brings you up to town?' "'Dentist.' said Lady Selina, rather indistinctly, owing to the muffin. "'And I thought, as I was up, I might as well go and see that man in Harley Street about my arthritis. You know who I mean.' Although Harley Street contained several hundreds of fashionable practitioners for all and every ailment, Luscombe did know whom she meant. "'Do you any good?' he asked. "'I rather think he did,' said Lady Selina, grudgingly. "'Extraordinary fellow!' "'took me by the neck when I wasn't expecting it "'and wrung it like a chicken.' "'She moved her neck gingerly. "'Hurt you? "'It must have done, twisting it like that, "'but really I hadn't time to know.' "'She continued to move her neck gingerly. "'Feels all right. "'Could look over my right shoulder for the first time in years.' "'She put this to a practical test and exclaimed, "'Why, I do believe that's old Jane Marple. "'Thought she was dead years ago. "'Looks a hundred. Colonel Luscombe threw a glance in the direction of Jane Marple, thus resurrected, but without much interest. Bertram's always had a sprinkling of what he called fluffy old pussies. Lady Selina was continuing, "'Only place in London you can still get muffins. Real muffins. Do you know, when I went to America last year, they had something called muffins on the breakfast menu. Not real muffins at all. Kind of tea cake with raisins in them. I mean, why call them muffins?' She pushed in the last buttery morsel and looked round vaguely. Henry materialised immediately. 
not quickly or hurriedly. It seemed that just suddenly he was there. Anything further I can get you, my lady? Cake of any kind? Cake? Lady Selina thought about it, was doubtful. We are serving very good seed cake, my lady. I can recommend it. Seed cake? I haven't eaten seed cake for years. Is it real seed cake? Oh, yes, my lady. The cook has had the recipe for years. You'll enjoy it, I'm sure. Henry gave a glance at one of his retinue, and the lad departed in search of seed cake. I suppose you've been at Newbury, Derrick? Yes, darn cold. I didn't wait for the last two races. Disastrous day. That filly of Harry's was no good at all. I didn't think she would be. What about Swan Hilda? Finished fourth. Luscombe rose. Got to see about my room. He walked across the lounge to the reception desk. As he went, he noted the tables and their occupants. Astonishing number of people having tea here. Quite like old days. Tea as a meal had rather gone out of fashion since the war, but evidently not at Bertram's. Who were all these people? Two canons and the dean of Chislehampton? Yes, and another pair of gaitered legs over in the corner, a bishop, no less. Mere vicars were scarce. Have to be at least a canon to afford Bertram's, he thought. The rank and file of the clergy certainly couldn't, poor devils. As far as that went, he wondered how on earth people like old Selina Hazy could. She'd only got tuppence a year or so to bless herself with. And there was old Lady Berry, and Mrs. Postlethwaite from Somerset, and Sybil Kerr, all poor as church mice. 